What's up guys, Josh here from the Rising Action Podcast. In this episode, Grayson and I talk about short stories. Namely, we talk about two stories written by short fiction giant Flannery O'Connor. We explore how short stories are a great way for somebody to dip their toes into literary fiction, and we also examine how stories written 50 years ago are still relevant today. All of that and more is coming up next, so now I'm going to shut up and get into it with Grayson. Rising Action. Rising Action. Good to go. I believe so. I just want my phone call. What do we actually know? Rising Action Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Rising Action Podcast. I am one of your lovely hosts, the one and only me. I am Josh, and over there is Grayson. How you doing, buddy? Doing well. I'm well. How, how about you? Good. I'm well. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little bit on the tired side. I started we- uh, school this week. You and, started uh, school this week. Yeah. Um, so it's been... For the first time in my life, I am not starting school this week. Well, since I was five. Yeah. So it's very weird. Man, I wish I, that were me. I do I'm have kidding. some <laughs> serious... I do have some FOMO. Don't don't rush it. Senior year is a fun time. No, yeah, we're we're I'm trying to make the most of it despite COVID. But you know, my school is taking things very seriously. If you don't have your mask on, you will go to hell. So I mean, oh, wow. um, yeah. So it's gonna be it's gonna be great. But also, I'm throwing I, spirituality I, in there. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but if I no, <laughs> I didn't say that. But if I uh, lately, I haven't found the desire to be on campus as much because I have to wear my mask nonstop and I don't have anywhere I can go. So I'm just like, I'm going to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Suffocating nonstop is a lot of fun, isn't it? The wor- it's not, That's not even the worst part. It's the fog on my glasses so I can't see anything. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> it's great. Sense. But yeah. So uh, some housekeeping items before we hop into this week's episode. You can follow us on Instagram at risingaction underscore. We post a lot there. Uh, I, we say it every week. If you don't know about our Instagram page... I don't know what you're doing. Um, you, should. you should. You should follow us there. Uh, also, uh, be sure to leave a review, especially if you're an Apple Podcast listener, which most of our listeners are. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating if you enjoy the show. It helps a lot of people uh, find out about Rising Action, so we greatly appreciate that. Give uh, us a follow can, on everything else. Yes, for sure. Uh, where can they find you on the uh, the social media sphere, Grayson? Um, you can find me at Shradester8 on Twitter and Instagram. I made kind of a comeback post, but I also had a lot of existential dread going back on Instagram. So I just, <laughs> so I was like, I'm gonna just post this, and I'm like, it's still nice, like not checking it all the time, um, because I'm I'm becoming free spirited, man. Not really, but I just sometimes have, being disconnected is nice. Um, I so totally yeah, relate. Twitter, Instagram, and also Letterboxd, at Shradester8. That is S-C-H-R-A-D-E-S-T-E-R-8. Where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at JoshJohnson98 with two N's on Instagram, uh, Josh underscore J98 on Letterboxd and Twitter. You can also find both of us on the Comic Blast podcast, but... We'll talk maybe more about that later. I don't know. Just go check well, out Comic we, Blast. We can dive into that at the end of the episode. Yeah, for How sure. about that? So this week, we're going to do something slightly different. Not 
entirely different, but a little bit different. I know we do, but this is not about movies. So yeah, which I mean, I'm glad we talk. See, to be fair, movies are probably the most approachable storytelling medium. They're very easy to talk about. mm -hmm. Whereas you don't have to do a lot of legwork. Yeah, Um, yeah, that's exactly. But this that's pretty much why we talk about movies all the time because we're like, what are we gonna do? And you know, we sit down, brainstorm, and then we're like, well, we could read a book, which is gonna take us a week, or we could watch a movie in two hours and then have everything we need. Mm -hmm. It's true. So this week we're gonna uh, do a little bit of a change up, but I'm really excited about where this is gonna go. We're gonna talk about uh, short fiction, namely a specific author that if you've gone to high school. If you've gone to college, you're going to probably recognize this name uh, because I think she is required reading for a lot of entry-level English classes in either high school or college. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're going to talk about Flannery O'Connor and kind of how um, her short fiction has really impacted literature as a whole, but also a little bit of why you should read her and we're doing it because uh short stories and novellas are a lot easier to read than whole novels and and part of the reason why i really wanted to do this was i want to bring awareness to some literary fiction some american classics that i recognize and i fully understand sometimes it's kind of difficult to pick up like grapes of wrath or or dubliners or something like that oh yeah they're they're kind of daunting and and um, Flannery O'Connor short stories range from like eight pages to 13. So it's really easy. Yeah. Um, you don't have to commit yourself to a super long haul. And the stories are really, really powerful. Yeah. Um, so you had re- you recommended this, um, this kind of episode uh, about a week or two ago. And you were like, yeah, it'll require a little bit of homework. And with school starting this week, I was, not, I was unable to read the three, all three short stories um, because I'm currently reading The Maltese Falcon, which is also regarded as a, I just hit my desk, whoops, uh, as a classic, <laughs> uh, and, and for like classic mystery novel. That's been really enjoyable, and I am sure I will get into that in a future episode. I would love to do that. Um, but I believe there were three shorts that you had recommended um, by Flannery O'Connor. I almost yep. just started playing a video on Instagram because that was the last thing that was open. Whoopsies. Um, so you recommended A Good Man is Hard to Find, Everything That Rises Must Converge, and Revelation. And I yes. read the very first, which is A Good Man is Hard to Find. And you read a, you read the second, which was um, Everything That Rises Must Converge. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I've read A Good Man is Hard to Find. I've skimmed Revelation, and I've also read uh, Everything That Rises Must Converge. But mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about A Good Man is Hard to Find really quickly. Yes, uh, please. What are your initial thoughts? Because I know, uh, I don't know if Flannery O'Connor is your reading of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did you think of it, you know, as a knee-jerk reaction after you read it? So I read it in about like 20, 20 30 minutes. I mean, it's not that hard to read. Um, first of all, her prose is... I. It, sits well with me pretty easy to read nothing Mm -hmm. like you don't everything is painted in a pretty um well 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 painted picture i would say uh (laughs) it's very easy to kind of like 
envision everything. what she's saying. Yeah, it's easy mm-hmm. to create the scene in your head. Right, yeah. I didn't have to do too much to be like, okay, this is... Because sometimes I'll often find myself in shorts or whatever it may be trying to like pinpoint every little location of something in the room. And mm-hmm. I'm like, does it really matter that much? No. Um, I mean, it's not like I'm watching when I watch a movie or a TV show that I'm like, okay, remember that that thing is sitting on that table. Like that doesn't really matter, you know. Um, yeah. What's more important is the characters, their environment, and what what's that saying about the story. Yeah. Um, so I was like, started reading this, and I was like, okay, it's about this grant. Uh, I spoil it. Are we gonna spoil it? Yes. Okay. Spoilers ahead. Well, for the how about this? How okay. about this? If you have not read these short stories. Uh, namely, A Good Man is Hard to Find and Everything That Rises Must Converge. Read them. Mm-hmm. You can find um, them on Google with quick Google search. They yeah. find, pop up as like a PDF. It, you know. They're really easy to find. You don't have to go buy a book. You can literally read them on your computer. And it, I mean, it legitimately takes 20 minutes. And I think you'll be a better reader for it. Um, they're, they're just something you should read. I know a lot of people say that and professors mm-hmm. tell you that. And it is kind of like an insufferable thing. To yeah. deal with. But, it's almost with everything, right? Um, yeah. Whether it be video games or comic books or movies or TV shows. Like, you think of a TV show. You have to watch Game of Thrones. You have to watch right. Breaking Bad. For movies, it's like, oh, you have to watch Star Wars. You have to watch Harry Potter. You so have to watch... here's another thing you have to do. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a, and it's just like, when you hear that, you're like, I don't want to do that thing. Right. Um, but considering but, it, it's literally 13 pages um, yeah. for A Good Man It's Hard to Find and the other ones are around that same ballpark, it's not yeah. that hard. And you'll get invested very quickly. So with that being said, I'm going to spoil th- some things. But before I get into that, I'll say my first reaction as I was like, oh, not what I was expecting. But also, yeah. like, I kind of loved it. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I did love it. I was like, especially one of the very final lines, which is, uh, I, when I did some Googling after the fact, I did some research, and um, the, that final paragraph in that short is heavily analyzed by um, English people, per se, English professors, um, yep. authors, writers, students, et cetera, et cetera. And I can see why, because it, it really made me think as soon as I finished it. I was like, hmm, this is, yeah, this has got me thinking. So why don't you give the the background information for the final paragraph, and then I'll go ahead and read it okay. for uh, everybody, so we can they can know what we're talking about. I'm gonna try to make this story as quick as possible. Basically, it's about this family. The main character uh, is this grandmother. They are going on a road trip to Florida. She wa- does not want to go to Florida. She wants to go to Tennessee. The family consists of the grandmother, her son, and his wife. And their three kids, two which, uh, two of them which are at the same age, a boy and a girl, and then an infant. An infant. Um, and they go on this road trip to Florida and just like all of this stuff. And they, they meet this guy in, at like a, a restaurant, like a barbecue place. Mm-hmm. And they get some food and they're just like, oh man, it's so, like a good man is so hard to find these days. Like you can't trust anybody. There used to be the times like where you could lock, like you didn't have to lock your doors and you could leave things around and nobody would take them. And it's just not like that anymore. And there is this like in the newspaper in the very beginning of the story. And this keeps on coming up. The grandmother keeps on talking about the misfit, this criminal that has done these terrible things to people and has been residing around the Florida area. Um, and they are based in Georgia. So anyway, they make it on their way 
and the grandmother is like, oh, I remember this farm or this plantation where that had this really nice trail and it was super beautiful and there was rumors of like lost treasure, which she like made made up just so they could get them to go there. They're like, yep. it's on this beaten path. So they all decide to go, The the um, her son the very begrudgingly, everybody else wants to go. Well, she realizes that it wasn't in, like she has a brain fart because she's old and is like, oh, <laughs> it wasn't in Georgia. This is not the right one that was in Tennessee. Like yeah. I forgot what state we were in. And yeah. so they go down this dirt road and then they end up flipping the car over yep. because they go over this sharp hill, get thrown in a ditch and everything. And who like, do okay. they find? The three mysterious men show up in a car and they are very ominous. They say nothing for quite some time. They get out of the car. There's mm-hmm. two younger boys that have guns and the kind of mismatched clothes. And the leading one is a shirtless older man who also has a gun. And basically, he, the grandmother deduces that this is the misfit. Um, yeah. That they have bumped paths with this criminal. And he takes them off into groups. He takes the boy and his father first off, and, uh, or his henchmen go off and they shoot them as the grandmother this entire time is begging uh, for him to, to pray. Does he believe in God not to do this? You're still a good man. Like there's, you, there's no reason you need to do this. There's still good in you. You know, all of that stuff yep. takes the, the woman or the wife um, and her daughter and the infant, they go off and shoot them too. And then the grandmother is, like, basically pleading at this point. She was like, please, you still don't have to do this. Like, you're, you're still a good man. Like, basically still trying to get to this man's heart. And she yeah. rushes up to him really quick to, like, to almost, like, embrace him. And he just he just shoots her three times, like, as she rushes up to him. And yeah. the line he says – go ahead and say this line because I do not want to misphrase it. I'll read the, the last little bit of this story real quick. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um the the misfit and the grandmother are basically all that's left they've killed um, her son and his family and um, this is right after that his voice seemed about to crack and the grandmother's head cleared for an instant she saw the man's face twisted close to her own as if he were going to cry and she murmured why you're one of my babies you're one of my own children she reached out and touched him on the shoulder the misfit sprang back as if a snake had bitten him and shot her three times through the chest. Then he put his gun down on the ground and took off his glasses and began to clean them. Hiram and Bobby Lee returned from the woods and stood over the ditch, looking down at the grandmother who half sat and half lay in a puddle of blood with her legs crossed under her like a child's and her face smiling up at the cloudless sky. Without his glasses, the misfit's eyes were red-rimmed and pale and defenseless-looking. Take her off now and or take her off and throw her where you've shown the others, he said, picking up the cap that was rubbing itself beside his leg. She was a talker, wasn't she? Bobby Lee said, sliding down the ditch with a yodel. She would have been a good woman, the misfit said, if it had been somebody there to shoot her every minute of her life. Some fun, Bobby Lee said. Shut up, Bobby Lee, the misfit said. It's no real pleasure in life. Precisely. So, it's very interesting, because mm-hmm. um, she does humanize this... Uh, villain i guess mm-hmm. um but i don't think that's necessarily the point of the story um a lot of what flannery o'connor's writing is about is social commentary and so she uh, mm-hmm. not so subtly kind of gives her opinions about the way people are and social constructs and namely southern people 
more than any others. Um, oh, she yeah. kind of she talks about in these stories, and you can see it in the characters, the way they interact with one another. They are usually based on like a stereotype that she wants to comment on. And that's a very common theme with her work, which is why I think it was so polarizing at the time, and I think is still somewhat relevant this today. This was written in like 1953, I believe. Yeah, these are old. Um, Flannery O'Connor died in 1964, I think, at very the age young. of 39. So um, these are very old stories, but they are uh, they're still relevant today, I mm-hmm. think, and they're written extremely well. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, um, there. Hold she up. She kind of captures southern uh, ca- characters, southern people. Oh yeah. Oh, in for sure. A beautiful way, you know. Like you read it, and the accents, the way that people talk, like you can totally see it. You can think of people in your her. own life as these characters. Yeah, one hundred percent. Especially like for people like us who live in like the grew up in like the, the southern east, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like every everybody has grown up around somebody, especially in the South. If you've grown up in the South, you've grown up around characters like what you'll find in these stories. And it's really interesting when she kind of um, uses these characters to say things about culture. And you realize the things she's saying, uh, you know, maybe it's a little bit dated. Like a good man is hard to find. Some of the themes. Um, are a little bit more specific to like the 1950s and 60s than they are now because a lot of the stuff she is saying is stuff that uh, people like you or I would say now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the things that she is saying are not necessarily socially acceptable are things that the general public would also say are not socially acceptable. Yeah. So her views, I think, have been adopted by the general public now. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. Hugely inspirational. And, yeah, yeah. And, and it's really interesting to see that, but namely with A Good Man is Hard to Find, um, you can tell this grandmother, like, she is so stereotypically a Southern grandmother, you know? Yeah. She's very opinionated, which you find a lot with Flannery O'Connor's characters. They're extremely opinionated and rooted in their beliefs and their history and, and heritage and all this stuff. Um, but it's interesting how, like, the grandmother is so rooted in the past and rooted in her own preconceived ideas about people that she can never realize that the misfit is a murderer. Mm-hmm. You know, like she thinks that, that there has to be good in everybody, you know? And, and there, to a, to an extent there is, cause the misfit acknowledges that there's no good in what they're doing, that there's no joy in it. Um, but yet he did it anyway, you know? Yeah. And, and she tries to pull every card in the book to bring out the humanity that she wants to see in him. Mm-hmm. And she never can do it. And he ultimately kills her because, you know, she jumps him emotionally speaking. Yeah. And it's very interesting. Um, I, I can't think of a better word to describe it other than interesting at the moment, which I know is kind of weak. But um, it's just so different and it's very eye-opening because you see some of the things that these characters are in yourself or in people around you and i think that's what makes them relevant that's what makes them powerful yeah yeah i think it was like a the overall theme that i gathered from this and whether if it's entirely true is up for debate but that line that he says is implying that she wouldn't have acted that way 
if if somebody would have checked her if like well, she wouldn't have acted that way acted that way if he didn't have a gun on her you know oh, he wouldn't yeah. have been like oh you're still a good man you know you you have like you like know, you the don't... gun brought out her true character kind of thing yeah and there's like a line and i th- i think it's like you know it's, a, it's something very similar like the dark knight where the joker like pressures people into like yeah. bringing, trying to push them to their worst to see what their true nature is because he puts them yeah. into these extreme circumstances. But like, this is kind of the inverse where like, I mean, she's she's definitely doing it to help save her own life, right? But she's doing it in like an uh, an empathetic way where yeah. she wants. It's kind to of like a commentary. It's a commentary on how Southern people, generally speaking, are uh, they don't ever say what they feel or think. They're all kind of wrapped up in their conceited ideas about other people. And they won't ever say it to somebody's face until you, quote unquote, put a gun to their head, which is what literally happens in the story. He puts a gun to her head and it reveals her true insecurities, her true Mm -hmm. um, struggles and and like her true motivations. Yeah. Which you don't ever get because she's she's very petty, you know, in in this whole story. She wants to go to Tennessee. She doesn't want to go to Florida. Um, The very opening lines are about... um, it's common stuff. Like they say, she won't be the first one to the car. She's the first one to the car when they're about to leave. She brings her cat and she packs in a certain way. And she kind of like talks down to other people in the car because they don't do things the way she thinks they should do them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that's contrasted with at the very end. Uh, she very much is open and, and raw and honest because it's forced out of her. And, and then she dies that way. And he says, <clears throat> you know, she wouldn't be that way unless I'd, put the gun to her like I did yeah and yeah pretty bittersweet ending yeah and probably so maybe if you like happy endings then you're not gonna like it but I mean it's kind of not really the point um she doesn't have many happy endings yeah that's a common thread is because and that's a a common theme I think with short stories in general is you want to have an emotional punch at the end of it that leaves you with something um and to do that, more often than not, they're not happy endings. Yeah. I, I think of off, like probably one of the most popular, if not the most popular, like the most like um the most dangerous game. That being one I don't remember the, the ending of that one, but I mean it's a pretty grim story. Um yeah. I think I think that allows her to be uh, like, okay, for people to get more behind it because you're not as closely attached to these characters and you don't feel like, oh, if they die right now, like, you know, when you it's like when you kill a character off early in a movie uh, or something or it's like, well, I didn't really, I wasn't really attached to that character. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really upset. But then, you know, you think of like Infinity War, they kill all these characters that have like had set up, you know. Right. But say, you know, in those movies, like if they had they killed Iron Man, like... Or, right off you know, the, like the Hulk, yeah. like within the first year of him, being, like nobody Everybody really would have cared. Yeah, nobody would have cared because you would. They, they did that with Quicksilver, remember, in Age of Ultron. And yeah. so, and the people were like, okay, I don't care. Like that, that was a dumb, like it was a pointless death. I didn't really feel much other than what the other characters were feeling, right? right. So th- all that being said, the short story approach allows um, authors and specifically Flannery O'Connor to get into these darker subject matters and you not be as sad, I guess, which I mean, they are sad, but you don't, you know, you're not sitting there like weeping. Um, It also allows people to like interpret them in their own way. mm -hmm. And I think 
um, the novel is, I find, a medium more for, like, enjoyment and for a more lasting, you know, something that you can, like, marinate on. Whereas yeah. a short story, you can, it's, it's like a movie uh, where you can go talk with your friends about it the next day and be like, how did you interpret it? What did you think? And they're going to have a hot take about it that's going to be completely different than your own. Right. And and you're going to be able to like go back and forth about it. But I think I don't see a whole lot of people doing that, which is kind of mm-hmm. sad. And I'll be the first to say, like, I'm not the biggest reader of literary fiction or what people would call literary fiction. Um, but when you read stories like this that uh, talk about things in our world, it's kind of like watching a movie by Jordan Peele or watching a movie by Quentin Tarantino or something like that where uh, literary language and and things that you'll read they vary greatly depending on who you're reading and what they're trying to do just like with a movie where you know everybody watches movies nowadays because they're easily consumable um, and they're highly entertaining more often than not now the goofy people like me will watch the movies that nobody else wants to see uh, or the movies that are just too weird that everybody's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, but you find that correlates with literature as well. Um, it's just that not many people want to read. And that's why I think it's so awesome that there are great short story authors um, that you can read something quick. You know, it doesn't have to take up a whole, you know, you can read it quicker than you can watch a movie. Yeah. And, and still be left with the same emotional impact and something you can unpack for yourself and talk about with others. And, and it's something to make you think about the world you live in and how mm-hmm. you approach it and how you view it. And especially in the time that we live in, and, and that kind of will get into a little bit more of that in the second story because it's a, extremely prevalent or uh, something to, to think about for the world we live in now. Um, it's very interesting how these stories can uh, talk about the world we live in and raise questions in a way that the, uh, the reader or the consumer can digest those questions and then take what they're consuming and apply it to their life. Yeah. Which is where the really cool thing happens. And that's like the power of story is that it allows you to talk about things like Black Lives Matter. It allows you to talk about racism or um, privilege or things like that you can talk about that in literature through stories which ironically enough Flannery O'Connor does even Mm -hmm. though she was writing this stuff in the 50s and 60s and she gets heavily into that with uh, the next story Mm -hmm. Um, uh, everything that rises must converge yeah we were talking about this a couple weeks ago where um, we were talking about Black Klansmen which I think plays along with this where we really enjoyed that movie, but at the very end, it kind of feels like it just like it became political ad. It, it it became a political ad, but what was more annoying about it is that it straight up just like treats it as like you didn't you just didn't just watch the movie. It's kind of right. like well, in case you it didn't get the point that was really well done throughout the entire story, and that the the movie should have just ended right here. Here's yeah. all these newsreels and footage and interviews and stuff about why why this is like why this is bad the theme from this movie and i'm like i got the theme from this movie i got the theme from the movie why are you like why are you doing like this whole like 
newsreel thing because it's just so far-fetched for like it doesn't fit the the movie at all um i think had you just the end of it i'd have been like wow like that's really good and really relevant relevant to like what's going on now even like i said putting it in you know maybe as like a post credits thing would have been even even more better than that or to, to kind of show like where um the KKK had gone up to this point in time and how it's affected um, the political uh, scene and whatnot, that would have been even fine with me. But the fact that it's like part of the main narrative is very strange to me. Anyway, I digress. That's what we were saying is like, even with these, with these short stories and like um, with uh, literature, you get these themes that basically allow you to have commentary on um, real world events. Like, Going, I I hate to keep on going back to movies, but I mean, like you know, they storytelling speaks movies, yeah, yeah, Everybody and and, and it's just about. it's storytelling, right? So like, Get Out, for example, is another thing that's like it kind of has to do with uh Tons with racism of themes, commentary. yeah, and it's like you get the the social commentary from that. Jordan Peele doesn't like tell it to you, like you yeah. have to like he tells it through his story, and you have to understand what's going on, yeah. and it's like don't. I love when stories, no matter what, like don't exactly treat their audience like babies where it's like when they don't assume you're dumb and they're like, okay, you can figure this out based mm -hmm. on all these things that kind of put together, create, uh, they hint at what we're trying to get you to understand Mm -hmm. here. Yeah. So like, I think anybody simply, like simply reading these Flannery O'Connor shorts would, and not really, analyzing them or you know taking the themes out of them which as a kid i thought was completely stupid like just enjoy the story and then i'm like right as i got older i'm like oh but once now you i'm turning into the english so professor powerful yeah i mean once you understand how powerful stories are as a message device and as a way to you know there's a reason why stories have always been used for propaganda like mm-hmm. there's a reason why uh hitler created or uh, was it Hermann Goring or whatever created the propaganda films for the Nazi movement because remember, stories was, impact people. Remember, um, I think of like Inglorious Bastards, and I don't like where right. they had they made that short film within the movie, or they made that film within the movie about Daniel Brühl's character and how yeah. he had that last stand against the Americans, and it's like, well, that's the German, that was like the German equivalent, you know, speak like in that universe of like saving private Ryan, for example. Yeah. You know? Um, so they're hugely influential and that's why like, even for marketing nowadays, like I, I'm ta- I was talking to somebody today about like how stories can uh, affect marketing and, yeah. and draw people in because it gives them something to connect to. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Maybe we should get into this other story um, that you, you, had told me a little bit before, but I want to hear you kind of rehash it and get more into it. Why don't we take a quick break before we finish out with this next story and talk about some worlds we've been exploring? That sounds like a magnificent plan. So, Grayson, what so worlds man. have you... Have you have, what, what, oh, God, I just had a stroke. What worlds have you been exploring? <laughs> Uh, well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I have been reading the Maltese Falcon. I am, I have been thoroughly enjoying it. It's got the kind of mystery detective noir um, tropes and themes, and I'm doing this for a class. Um, 
that I know Josh would eat right up if he was still in school. And I'm almost encouraging him to just like read the books with me and watch the movies with me anyway so we can talk about them on the podcast. Um, I might have to do that. I might only be able to watch the movies, but you know what? Yeah, I mean, hey, that's that's totally fine. But um, yeah, anyway, I'm doing Maltese Falcon. That one's really cool. And next week I will be doing... um, what was it? The the Hitchcock movie, uh, Rear Window. Rear Window. Yes, we touched uh, on that when we had Seth on, and we talked about uh, influential movies in film. And mm-hmm. Rear Window is my personal favorite Hitchcock movie. So yeah, I'm excited for you to watch that. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. So uh, I will keep people updated with those stories. I'm doing things from like Princess Bride to Blade Runner to V for Vendetta to stand by me. I mean, there's a huge amount of work, um, stories that we're going to be getting into. And it's just, uh, it's more stuff for me to talk about here, which it makes me very excited. It's kind of a double whammy, um, yeah. the podcast and for school. Other than that. Oh, last night I started atomic blonde. Um, Heck yeah. You didn't I, finish it. I didn't finish it. Cause I started, I got really tired. Like I'm telling you that. this, this <laughs> week has been kicking my ass. So, yeah, man. um, so I got about halfway through it. Um, and so far it's pretty good, but there hasn't been like an action scene. That's like really stood out to me. There's like, there's only been like one or two action scenes and they've both been kind of like good. I'm waiting yeah. for like something to really just like, wait until you get to the one where it's the dude's uh she's like in a room like mm-hmm. a like a hotel room kind of yeah and there's a scene where a bunch of guys come in and try and, and kill her and it's the is stairwell it, she, is it the she st- has the stairwell is there's, she has the rope yeah it's see, in that, the trailer see i've seen the that, end of it's in the that trailer. one was cool but i thought it was kind of goofy dude it's so cool i don't know i, I thought just, it was like, so i thought it was super dope i was expecting more like, I don't know, she's, like, using it as, like, a whip and stuff. It was, like, it was interesting. I was expecting more kind of, like, visceral, like, punching and bones cracking and, like, gunshots at the head. Like, but maybe that's because I'm just, like, a manly You're, you're just, man. like, into John Wick now. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is I'm, like, basically John Wick, him just stabbing dudes with pencils and breaking their arms and To whatnot. be fair, John Wick movies are kind of the new standard for action sequences yeah. now. Which, I mean, so. to be fair, this one is directed by, uh, not Chad Stahilski, but um, David Leach, right? Did he uh, do the... David Leach. Why do I know that name? What did he do? Well, he did... Um, he did uh, the first John Wick with Chats the Hillski. They both directed it, but he was uncredited. Okay. See, is it David I, Leach is that the, is that his name? Hold on, sorry, I need to make sure. Yes, yeah, David Leach. David Leach. I feel like I thought he did Deadpool the two, first. Hobbs and okay. Shaw, John Wick. He's gonna be uh, helping with Deadpool three. Uh, he's v for Vendetta. I mean, he's done a ton. Like he's a stunt. He's a he's a stunt choreographer. So. Um, okay. Born Legacy with uh, Jeremy Renner. Greengrass, the shaky cam. Oh no, that's that was Legacy. That wasn't the crazy shaky stuff. Yeah, uh, I yeah. This one, this is Born Legacy with Jeremy Renner. That you're thinking yeah. of like the board supremacy or ultimate. Yeah, or and whatever. then the the newest one with Matt Damon, where it's Jesus Christ, it's Jason. It's Jason Bourne. Bourne. I've never. <laughs> I still have not seen that movie. It's not bad. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Anyway, that's what I've been. Uh, what I have been exploring. What about you? So I started a book 
uh, called Tagana by Guy Gavriel K. I know I've talked about it before because I picked it up and I was really excited. Uh, I started it a couple days ago. I'm about 80 pages into it. Um, it's really, really freaking good. It was published in 1993. Um, so I'm super excited to review it because I've started reviewing books on YouTube. Um, I didn't plug that in, in where yeah, you, you can sh- find me. I was about to say, you should uh, you should talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I read books pretty frequently, and I talk about them with Grayson. I talk about them with uh, the, the folks on Comic Blast and some of my friends here. One of my buddies is a literary critic. Um, in fact, he might be listening right now. So, Chris, if you're listening, what's up, man? Hey, man. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I like to read about books or read about books, read books and talk about them. I like to watch movies and talk about them. I like to talk about stuff that I'm consuming. And uh, books was one that I hadn't really, really gotten into. And so I decided I was just going to do book reviews on YouTube. And I reviewed... What did I do? Kings of the Wild. Kings of the Wild. That's what it was. I talked about that quite a lot on the podcast. So if you've been listening for a while, you will know about that book. But I did a review, which is a little bit more in depth, on uh, my YouTube channel. It's literally just my name. And I'm about to post another one about a collection of novellas from George R. R. Martin called A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. That sounds sick. Yeah, so it's a lot of fun. But anyway, um, I want to finish Tagana so I can review it, mostly because I want you to read it a lot because okay. I think it's super representative about like the fantasy genre as a whole. Is and this- is this a novel or a series? It's a novel. It's only one book, so you don't have to dive into a super long series. It's like 600 pages, so it's kind of girthy, but, you know. Girthy. <laughs> that's a really poor choice of words. How, anyway. how do you spell this? T-I-G-A-N-A. It was published in 93, and the author, Guy Gavriel K., worked closely with Christopher Tolkien to... Um, Basically, he worked with the Tolkien estate to uh, publish Lord of the Rings-related things, which is really cool, I think. Am I spelling this wrong? T-I-G-A-N-A. Oh, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> I did Tagani. No, Tagana. So it's been really good. I'm enjoying that quite a bit uh, right off the rip. The first act, the inciting incident, is incredible, and I really like good plots. So it's got a great plot from, from the get-go. Um, what else have I been doing? I watched 310 to Yuma for the first time in a really long time, so I got to refresh my memory on that. It's a really good movie. You will hear me talking about that in probably a month or two. It's a really good movie. Yeah. Um, I just Russell also, Crowe, man. Christian Bale. Christian Bale and Russell Crowe in that movie are incredible. Yeah. Christian Bale especially. Russell Crowe's good. Christian Bale's fantastic. Yeah. I, He's so good. It was weird. It's like Russell Crowe is like one of the most charismatic like villain, yeah. like ever because he's like he was a villain and then he kind of becomes not a villain. But he's he not a is. villain towards the end. But like yeah, he's still. It's just dude. As a sucker for westerns and James Mangold, yeah. man, yeah, it's a good. It's movie. really good. It it definitely needs to be like when we talk about westerns, we talk about Logan, we talk about the Dollars trilogy, we talk about Stagecoach. Uh, uh, what else is a really uh, slow West 310 to Yuma needs to kind of be in that conversation for like movies that are extremely well done that also happen to be Westerns. Yeah. God, I love Westerns. No. Uh, I also just picked up a movie called Assassins. With, um, um, 
Seth recommended it for me. Um, I don't really know much about it other than it's a really oh, artsy no. movie. You know, American Assassin. That's no, it's not that. It's not that at all. Um, I don't know if it was made um, in China. I, it's. I want to say it's Chinese. Anyways, it looks really cool. It looks uh, really indie and art housey, and I don't know. I'll watch it and. Sylvester Stallone? No, it's um, no, it's not that at all. It's all Asian actors, and I'm pretty sure it's all spoken. It's all subtitled. I just don't know if it's Japanese or Chinese. Um, I don't know a ton about it, other than I got it. It's sitting on my shelf, and I'm about to watch it here soon. And I've heard pretty decent things about it. Okay, Um, but that's that's pretty much it for for the stuff I've been exploring. That sounds pretty... Dude, there's so many assassins things. Good lord, I can't even find this one. Yeah. Interesting. There's with assassins. Anyway, let's hop back into the episode and kind of land the plane here talking about everything that rises must converge. That's me landing the plane. So the second story I really want to talk about that I tried to get you to read, but you didn't, was Everything That Rises Must Converge. And uh, the reason why I wanted you to read it and the reason why I want everybody to read it is it's a it's social commentary that's extremely relevant for the time we're living in. Um, it's definitely rooted in um, the 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's related to struggles of race in the 50s. But it's so when we talk about and and this is going to get a little bit political, I guess, and maybe that's the second episode in a row, uh, which is very odd because I don't like talking about politics. But I think in the world we live in, politics and I'll say this much issues are linked. I'll say this much just to kind of defend your case here and for people to to not turn off the thing. We our professor taught us that no matter what you think, everything is political. May not yes. seem like it, but there is something political about everything. And storytelling is one of the prime places for politics. Yeah. Because people think politics, they think, oh, guys in business suits and whatnot. And yeah, it sounds really gross. I hate politics too. But it's not necessarily about politics as it is about societal matters. That's what politics really means. It's about things that are going on in society that need to be fixed or changed or that are affecting us. So with that being said... These stories that, say, have social commentary, it is commenting on something that is going on in our society and that usually is rooted in politics because we immediately jump to politics to help change it, which is sometimes is not always the case, but most like, but sometimes it is. So that's what kind of Josh is is saying when it comes to politics. So just because we say that doesn't um, like don't immediately jump off the train here. Bear with us. Uh, and, enjoy, and enjoy the maybe bumpy ride, but you know, try to keep an open mind. Yeah, so in the world we live in where, uh, and this is, I know this is recent, um, but we've had a lot of societal change being pushed in the world we live in, which is awesome, because um, there are some things that just don't need to exist in the world we live in, and I won't really get into those because, you know, don't need to, but... Uh, when we think about the, the, the narrative I have heard repeatedly in the past few months 
is the idea of white privilege. And I'm not even going to get into white privilege, but what that means is an underlying mindset about the world. And that is labeled white privilege. So, um, without getting into whether or not it exists, all that stuff, I don't care about that stuff. Um, this story, Everything That Rises Must Converge, examines in practicality what that is. Without ever saying white privilege, without ever talking about what that might mean, or or how it, it, it doesn't even mention it it's it's literally all interpreted um and so in this story it focuses on though it's not the main character it focuses on an older lady you see a common theme here with flannery o'connor we talk about she loves some old ladies (laughs) yep um it's an old lady and and she's very much uh all of her motivation or all of the things that she holds dear are things of the past and so in this case, it's, I don't know exactly what year this takes place in, but you have to imagine it's sometime in the 40s or, or 50s. I believe she and, writes all of her things within current times, which is uh, her right. lifetime was 40s, 50s, maybe 60s. But, you know, yeah. in a time when segregation was still yeah. prevalent and whatnot. Yeah. So <clears throat> this character uh, frequently t- imagines her family from a time gone past and she wants to she's insufferable so because she uh, nails into her son this idea that you are of a great family like uh, you're gonna act a certain way because that's where our family comes from and that's our lineage that's our heritage and the son the main character the point of view character looks around and says we live in a dump of a neighborhood um, and we're not that like you say we are this family that she says owned a plantation, owned slaves. Uh, I think at one point she says that their family owned 200 slaves. Um, they were rich by all measurements of like uh, worldly value. And, and now they're not anymore, this mother and son. And when she says we were this family, he finds it stupid because they live in not poverty, but they're definitely not rich, at least what they used to be. And so he finds it silly to compare your present situation or to try and wish you were your grandfather's life, you know? And she constantly brings this up and he's just had enough of it and it's driving him crazy and he's just depressed because all she talks about is, you know, the way things used to be and when, when um, you know, when the grass was greener. And... Uh, he's had enough of it. So essentially the, the events of the story is he's taking his mom, he's accompanying her to the Y because she's going there to lose weight. Essentially. She takes like a, a a class, a spin class or something. Um, and, and so she's forcing him to go with her and he's depressed and he, he does it anyway because it's his mom. And, and while on the way there, uh, they they take the bus and we see an example of segregation in the bus because you know uh, people of color had to sit in the back of the bus at this time in history and so <clears throat> she gets on the bus and she starts talking 
to people on the bus who are all white about, you know, oh, yay, we don't have to deal with black people on this bus. Like, just stuff that would have been said in the 40s, 50s, 60s. And um, it's really funny because her son, in his in his mind, like, you see, he doesn't care. Like, he could not give a crap about the things that they hold so dear. Like, he doesn't care if a bus is segregated. Like, it does not bother him when a black person gets on the bus. He doesn't hold those uh, uh, age-old, not grudges, but, like, he is not racist the way his mom and all these older folks on this bus are. And so when a, a black guy gets on the bus, <clears throat> he goes and sits next to him because know, he knows it'll drive his mom crazy. But what's super interesting about this and what I find very timely, I guess, is he doesn't go sit next to the black man because he genuinely wants to because that is a person he's interested in. He sits next to him because of what he represents and what sitting next to him represents, what that uh, action does for the tension in that bus. Because what he's saying is, I don't care that he's black and I'm not racist like you all are. But instead what happens is it's this very awkward exchange where the black guy doesn't really care to be around him or to talk to him because um, he's a stranger. Like if a stranger sat next to you on a bus, regardless of their background, like you don't necessarily want to strike up a conversation with them just because like that's kind of awkward. And that's how this black man approaches the situation. And this son thinks that like the novel situation of a white guy sits next to a black guy in a segregated bus, the black guy's instantly going to want to talk to him. And he doesn't because people don't do that. And I found that fascinating um, because, you know, in, in the world we live in, like that kind of thing, I feel like happens where you see white people um, go out of their way to um, kind of make f like the, the age old phrases, I have black friends or, you know, you try and go out of your way to uh, kind of relate to a person of color or, or do something out of the ordinary thinking they're automatically going to accept it. And maybe they don't because they're people and they think you're weird because you're doing things that strangers don't do. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. I found it very interesting. Anyway, that's a very small part that I just found fascinating. But yeah, yeah. Um, this guy gets off the bus eventually and uh, they're continuing to the Y. And, and when this black man gets off the bus, a uh, black woman and her son get on the bus. And um, the mom, she does not care about race and children, apparently, because... You know, she starts, uh, she finds the little, the, the child cute and she's like talking to him and playing peekaboo with him and all this stuff. Cause like what you realize is uh, people aren't necessarily racist all the time. They're just kind of like racist towards adults, which you find that, you know, when you say it, it sounds really weird, but then like you put it, you think about it. You're like, well, how does this actually play out in real life? Everybody finds cute kids cute, regardless of where they're from who they are i mean i think it's definitely racism. situational but yeah there's yeah but yeah for the most part but it's very funny how like she does not care at all and it, mm -hmm. it the the son even says like he essentially says she finds all kids cute and it's very funny so 
Um, eventually they get to their stop and this mom and her child get off the bus the same time the son and mom do. And, um, the mom says to the son, like she's rummaging around in her purse and the son realizes she's going to give this kid a nickel. And he's like, don't give her a nickel. Don't give him a nickel. And she does it anyway. She runs up, she says, little boy. And, uh, she's like, would you like a, a nickel? And the, the, um, African-American mom literally turns around she says we don't want your nickel and slaps the mom with a purse <laughs> because like it seems so weird to do like hey yeah. little kid do you like i don't it's just very odd like in yeah. general that's a really odd thing to do much less because you realize that she's doing it because she's like she feels vindicated for all the things she thinks because oh i gave this a little black kid a nickel you know like yeah. i'm nice to black people that's kind of like the whole representation of well i have black friends it's like well, yeah how does that actually play out in your life you know is it a real thing that you believe meaning you take in that information and act upon it and it kind of uh spreads to all forms and and all the aspects of your life or is it just something you say because you don't want to be called out yeah um, that's mm -hmm. kind of what this moment is playing out for this mom character. And so this black lady slaps her with a purse. And it just kind of is this wake up moment where, and the son is telling her, he's like, you can't act that way. You can't, all the things that we would say to somebody who patronizes um, other races and, and just does things that we all know, like you can't do. Mm -hmm. He's like, you can't do this. You can't, uh, you know, give a little black kid a nickel because he's a little black kid. You can't, um, feel like because I'm I did this one nice thing that doesn't vindicate you from all the other racist things I know you think and you know you can't live in the past because that's not the present and we live in a crap house and this is not our great granddaddy's plantation like wake up kind of thing yeah and the end of the story is um, she has a stroke uh, she I guess can't cope with the world that she lives in that, oh, like, I cannot believe this lady would slap me with her purse, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's just kind of one of those things where there's so much commentary here because you can see uh, Flannery O'Connor talking about how uh, white people who have grown up in that time have grown up in an environment of... Uh, of privilege not because of their race but because of like they came from rich backgrounds of rich families that were once yep. something and they had plantations and they were well off and that time has gone past and that's essentially what she's saying she's like that time when we owned human beings when we lived in the good old days that time has gone now yeah and you have to wake up and realize it's like stop you know she is through the sun saying all the things that people nowadays think you cannot live in that fantasy land because that fantasy land does not exist and it shouldn't exist because it's wrong. Right. Um, it's extremely powerful. And the best part of it is obviously you can see the commentary happening. Like, you know, it's happening, but it's told through the story and it's told in a way that, like all the stuff I've been saying is my interpretation of it. It may not be how you interpret it. It may not be how somebody else interprets it. Um, this is 
how I saw it. And I saw it as so timely for the time we live in. Um, cause it, it's just like, I see that, like, I see that in real life. I see that on social media. I see that in conversations with people on a day-to-day basis. Um, it's very powerful. I said that a lot about her stories, but I find when we can talk about the world we live in and, and we can do it through stories. I think that's a win because oh, that's yeah. human discourse that is essential to uh, progressing as a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to talk about these things and doing it in the right way, not like a black Klansman where it's like, this is how you should think like, yeah, present the way you see the world and let me interpret it and do with it what I want. And I found this story in my interpretation of it to be extremely powerful and extremely poignant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I probably would view it in the exact same way, maybe pick up on a couple of other things or maybe not. I mean, um, but yeah, I agree with all like the, the kind of social cues and commentaries that come along with that. And basically how people are so kind of set in their ways and, and even beyond just race things, like people will, will, will do things just so that they are looked at in a good light, or right. you know, pres- like basically accepted by society. Not that they genuinely feel want that way. to. Exactly. She talks Which, about that a lot in her stories. You can tell she picks on characters that act a certain way to be perceived a certain way, but that's, and the, what she does is she exposes who they really are. Mm-hmm. Uh, she takes you behind the curtain and puts them in situations where that facade that they put on for other people is exposed as being false, as being a mask. Right. Yeah. I think there's at least with the two stories that we talked about today, um, you can definitely see those. And if you listening, read both of them, I guarantee you will draw that connection as well. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously we have spoiled those two stories for you. So uh, find more Flannery O'Connor stories, uh, read them, talk about them with people in your circles, with your friends, with your parents. Um, And and I think this is genuinely an episode to kind of say you can read great literature and it doesn't have to be something that is a massive tome. Um, It can be quick but also these things can pack a punch and there's a lot of great authors. Um, it's not just Flannery O'Connor. We picked her, but there's also authors like, uh, Ray Bradbury and O. Henry, um, Edgar Allan Poe. Um, a lot of them write about how they see the world and it's not all the same, uh, social issues like Flannery O'Connor. Each of them sees the world in a different way and writes about different things. So maybe if Flannery O'Connor isn't, maybe you listen to this and you realize maybe she's not my cup of tea, Read N. O. Henry, read N. Edgar Allan Poe, read Bradbury. Um, you know, it, different strokes for different folks kind of things. Yeah. Um, but I think short fiction is a great way to digest and uh, kind of examine through other people's eyes how you see the world, but also think critically about the world we live in and, and how we can kind of cope with it and, and get better as people and, and different things like that. Right, yeah. It also makes you a much better reader and writer. I know for a fact, like, I read that from a certain point of view book, which is those 40 short stories regarding um, uh, episode four, A New Hope uh, for Star Wars. And what was, like, honestly, my favorite thing about that book was not even that it was, like, Star Wars or whatever. It was that, like, I got 
40 different authors and each of their different styles and what they were saying about yeah. these characters. And like each of them had their own little message within, you know, 20 pages or less. Right. Some right. even, some even worked literally two or three pages. Um, and they still packed a punch. Right. And you still felt emotion from that. So with these short stories, um, in general, like go out there and discover them and maybe you'll find like one of your new favorite authors and, and stuff like that. I know for a fact after this, like I'm going to go check out more. I was talking about short stories today in that same page to screen class that I was discussing earlier. Um, so I was very happy to, I, at the, I'm at this point in my life where I really enjoy reading new things. I read, mm-hmm. uh, I mentioned uh, last week or the week before the stranger by Albert Camus. It's not Camus. It's spelled Camus C A M U S. But, oh, yeah. um, that was a story that I loved reading and it wasn't, I mean, it was fiction, but it had commentary and it had to do with, um, with like existentialist themes and, Mm -hmm. um, morality and like how we perceive the world and whatnot. And so, and even if my beliefs don't line up with them, it still gives me something to think about and provokes my, um, like stimulates my mind. And yeah, that's what really speaks to me. Um, and I'm going to read some more Flannery O'Connor ones for sure. Heck yeah, man. So I think that's about all we've got for this episode. Uh, really quick housekeeping stuff again to remind you before we call it quits. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at rising action underscore. Uh, we post a lot there. I say that every single time, but we do post fairly frequently. Um, and then also <clears throat> leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts specifically. But I also think you can do that on Overcast or, or a couple of the other ways you can listen and consume Rising Action. Uh, where can they find you, Grayson, should they decide they want to see what you're all about? Well, you already know I'm at Trades the Ray on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. But you can also find me and quite often Josh on a podcast that I helped co-create with my friend Keenan, who was also a host on it. That is the Comic Blast podcast. If you are into pop culture and entertainment and geek stuff, you're going to love Comic Blast. We present it in a very entertaining way. And I genuinely think this podcast would not exist without Comic Blast. It kind of spawned off of it into a new direction that Josh and I were able to kind of create together. Um, We combined our knowledge and created this. But... If you're into any of that stuff, go check out Comic Blast. Uh, we upload weekly on a kind of a regular schedule. It kind of ba- it kind of depends on news it's events like a that news are happening. Cycle basis, yeah. Right, exactly. So um, there should be a new episode um, around this weekend. Uh, whenever you're listening to this, and um, yeah, we have a fun time over there. Talk about Star Wars and other movies, and from a more uh, like not necessarily like a filmmaking standpoint, but more from a commercial standpoint, and just what we think about them as fans and comic books and all of that jazz. So go check out Comic Blast. You can find that on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, and YouTube. Yeah, basically my role on that show is the instigator. I say stuff that pisses everybody else off, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I don't know how I like it anymore. <laughs> I think I'm about to get kicked off because yeah, I, yeah, I, I keep trashing Star Wars. <laughs> oh man it's it's definitely a lot of fun i listened to it on my own actually before we even started rising action or before honestly before we even really like really great friends i listened to comic blast on my own. yeah uh it's very entertaining i enjoyed a lot um yeah so 
that's about everything. That's all the housekeeping items. I don't think I'm forgetting anything. Uh, yeah. You got anything you want to say to close this out? Oh man, I feel like I have to find like a like I gotta think of a quote. Oh no, oh no. Uh, I don't know. Just end it. Fair enough. Goodbye. <laughs> See ya.